Are you, are you guys ready? Sure. Are, are you you're good? Okay. <sighs> Is anyone ever ready for the press gallery? I don't know. Episode 200. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, Provincial Affairs reporter Emma Graney. It is October 6, 2017, and this is the Conduits, Cannabis and Cupcakes edition. With me today, we have Sarah O'Donnell. Good morning, Emma. How are you? Wonderful, thank you. Good, good to see your smiling face. Paula Simons. G'day. G'day. How's it going? It's going splendidly on this lovely autumn morning. It's a very nice scarf you're wearing, very colourful. Thank colorful. you very much. It's very a... Lovely. It's the work of the great Alberta artist Alex Janvier. Yeah, that name doesn't ring a bell. I can't afford a Janvier painting, <laughs> so I bought a Janvier scarf. scarf. It will do. And Graham Thompson, how are you? Hello. Did you spend all night working on that title? Y- you know it. It's it's good, isn't it? It's, it's great. Thank you it's so the best much. One. Delicious, even the best and, one. And where where are the cupcakes? This is the two hundredth edition. This is the two hundredth edition. Where, so that's where are our celebratory cupcakes? We'll get to that, Paul. <laughs> Just just calm down, Paula. Okay. okay. So conduits, we're going to talk conduits. We're talking about Energy East and the cancellation of that. Uh, and we're going to be talking about some politicians and wannabe politicians becoming conduits for other people or policies. Graham, I, I it's very good. Back. I approve. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Um, we're going to talk cannabis because the province released their pot guidelines this week. And cupcakes because it's the 200th episode of the Press Gallery podcast today. 200 weeks. That's insane. For 200 weeks, you've been bothering Paula and Graham. I have. I, I'm to blame or for one all of, of it from the beginning. Has Someone has been inconveniencing Paula and Graham for 200 weeks. <laughs> it's more than 200 weeks because we skip some. Oh, so very sad. But, but, but 200 episodes. And so, yes, it's nice to have Sarah, who's now our boss, back oh. with us as the founder of the Press Gallery podcast. Oh, bless. See, this, is, this, was, this was the springboard. She went from being a ledge reporter who founded the Press Gallery podcast to being managing editor of the paper. And Assistant Graham, managing editor. And Graham, Graham, <laughs> Just give her a promotion. It's cool. Gra- Graham and I are still here. <laughs> <laughs> Doing what you excel at. When one cannot opine, one edits. I don't know. I found the first episode. Oh, dear. I mean... Wait. My name is Sarah O'Donnell. It's Thursday, August 22nd, 2013. And joining me in the journal newsroom are columnist Graham Thompson, Paula Simons, and editorial page editor Richard Helm. So, hello, everyone. Hello. hello. We'll you all sound so nervous. Three topics. I don't know if I didn't get a title. Alberta's healthcare Q jumping report, me. which was released. Well, was, but, it really, was it really 2013? Yeah, August 22nd, Paula, 2013. you are your own title. I am my own title. Yeah. I, I'm the queen of politics. 200 episodes. 200 episodes. I mean, Did you think it was going to go for that long, Sarah? No. No, I didn't know how much interest there would be. <laughs> I thought we'd be lucky if we got a couple months out of it. So, no, it was. it's, it's, uh, it's really fun to hear that. I mean, it's horrifying because I truly sound horribly nervous it's just it's cute. you can tell that that was not my medium at that moment but I think that we've all grown into it and what amazes me is that we still have listeners hopefully still after today in this long <laughs> rambling intro who have stuck with us from day one yes. to you know now and I have to say that the press gallery listeners are awesome I mean the the comments they give back on Twitter and social media are mm-hmm. some of the best 
comments and feedback I've gotten over the years. So you're self-selected to be the best and the brightest, all you podcast listeners. So thank you. <laughs> we love you. Why did you start the podcast, Sarah? I'm curious. Yeah, well, I, I don't know the story. Yeah, well, I, you know, I was at the legislature and I always thought that we had really interesting conversation amongst ourselves. So the conversations that we had with Graham or when we'd be in the newsroom bringing Paula in and that sort of thing. And I thought, Th- these are great conversations. We should share these. And then I'd see these smart people going on everyone else's show. And I'd be like, <laughs> why don't we have a show of our own? We should have a show. So it really was that simple. I wanted us to have a show that I knew that people were enjoying. And, I, and like I said, the conversations were happening. And I thought they were hopefully interesting. And I wondered if other people would be interested in them too. So, And people are interested. Yes. Yeah. What's and our audience right now? Do you know? Like, no, substantial. Are. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thousands. That's, that sounds good. Thousands. Yeah. Well, and the, at the time, well, there you. wasn't, uh, you know, more people have moved into this niche, but at the time, there was not an Alberta politics podcast, particularly. You know, you would yeah. get the, the snippets here and there on radio and that sort of thing, but there, it wasn't uh, some, a, a place where there was a lot of people talking. So we decided to go there and try it. I, I stopped a couple times. People say, hey, you're Graham Thompson. I go, yes. And then they go, I love your podcast. <laughs> And I'm serious, it's actually happening. They don't mention the columns, they mention the <laughs> podcast. Well, and I do know that we have listeners, um, you know, one of my daughter's friends who's who went away to Oxford to university wrote to me that she listened every week from Aww. Oxford to keep up with what was going on here. And so I thought that was that was pretty cool. We've got listeners in Australia now too. Yes. So my parents <laughs> can hear my voice every week without fail. <laughs> but it's funny, when I was thinking back on some of the topics that we've covered, I mean those topics that we were talking about in 2013. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe not the first episode, but The pipelines. second episode. That was the second <laughs> episode was, a, was in featured pipelines as well. It's and just, here we are, episode 200. It's, it's a little bit like Groundhog Day in that way. <laughs> so I look forward to what new and insightful things we have to say about the regular topics. Excellent. But one second. Oh. Before we move on. <laughs> there are actual cupcakes. There oh, are actual cupcakes. With Tuesday's oh, 200 nice. on them. They do. And I've got sprinkles. <gasps> and some have stars. Oh, those are wonderful. Sean needs to get a wonderful nice? shot of this. I baked them last night and I iced them this morning. Oh, that's wonderful. And I brought two dozen so the whole newsroom could have one because I well, worried otherwise I would start some kind of civil war. <laughs> that, that's oh, a great. Now, uh, my question, does that say 200 or zoo? 200, <laughs> Graham. It clearly says 200. Although it, it's a bit No, of a, 200. Oh, dear. <laughs> this is one, this is one you the know, only actually, place on the podcast where there's not room for opinion. Yes. There's, the, yeah. Uh, Graham's wrong. Yes. He can have an opinion, but it's wrong. For the first time in 200 podcasts. <laughs> okay, so now that we've had our little celebratory pat on the back, Let's well get done, pictures everybody. Let's after. Okay, we'll have pictures with them. They're very, they're very nice. And oh, they smell vanilla. Mm. I made vanilla because Paula hates chocolate. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to break down and eat one of those diet schmiet. That's the spirit. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk, let's talk conduits. We'll start off with uh, Energy East. It got cancelled yesterday morning not a huge surprise though was it Graham? no it, it wasn't um like a year ago we had a bunch of um analysts in talking to the alberta government and these are from the major banks and we were asking them about pipelines and they said that uh they figured back then a year ago it was only a 25 percent chance of the energy east pipeline going ahead they just thought the economics were against it so the thing is when the company announced a decision yesterday. It's interesting the the reaction it got from people across the country. If you're an environmentalist, they were saying we we won the fight. Mm. Uh, Montreal mayor was saying it was a big victory, but then of course you had the the governments uh, 
in here and in Ottawa saying it's a purely purely business decision based on economics. Don't blame us for it. And the opposition was going over the top, slamming this, saying this is proof that the NDP and liberals are against pipelines, can't get them built. Um, I, I was asked yesterday for more information from the company, TransCanada, and all I got was um, the news release will, will suffice. And it just talked about really? changed circumstances. So what did that mean? So people are cherry-picking their own um, reasons as to why this pipeline was shut down. But today I'm reading more analysts talking about the real reason was economic, mm. that this pipeline, because the price of oil has dropped so much, we don't need as many pipelines perhaps in the future. Um, this pipeline wasn't going to make sense right now. But people are going to keep cherry-picking their own ideas or reasons as to why this pipeline failed. You know, we, I think our headline on the front of the journal today says, who killed the Energy East pipeline? And it's a bit like murder on the Orient Express. Everybody killed it altogether. <laughs> I mean, part of the problem, as Graham says, is that the price of oil has dropped. Part of the problem, though, is that there's less oil than forecast coming out of Fort McMurray in the oil sands. Because when these pipelines started being talked about, um, you know, we had this whole issue of the bitumen bubble and the oil being trapped in and this huge overproduction that we couldn't get to market. Well, with oil prices down, production is down. So there's actually less oil waiting to be piped. Uh, and then, of course, there's the Line 3, which is going ahead. I mean, it's under construction. Uh, there's great hope for Trans Mountain. And Ronald... Uh, and Donald Trump gave the green light to uh, the Keystone XL pipeline, which, you know, that's three pipelines, one of which is a for sure thing, two of which are still a bit tentative. So that reduces also the economic case. But I think we do also have to say that the National Energy Board um, did not have the smoothest process dealing with this. There was a whole issue where the panel, you know, had the conflict of interest and they had to switch it. You know, I mean, the regulatory process did not help. Mm. So I don't think it's it's not fair to say that this is on the NEB or on Justin Trudeau, but it's also not fair to say it's just economics because if the NEB had greenlighted this two years ago, then we'd be in a different place. This is a case where I really would like the private business TransCanada to be more forthcoming about their reasons for making these choices. And, and the reason I know, you know, private businesses, they don't have to answer to anybody necessarily. But in this case, mm, governments, shareholders. In, governments, including the Alberta government, have invested a lot of resources into uh, and, and goodwill into trying to get a pipeline and project like this done. And so, yes, it's true. It's a it may be a business matter, but there also are consequences for uh government and, and people in this province. So I, I wish that uh, in, they would come forward with some more information about why they why they made the choices and, you know, kind of break it down. How much of it was economic? How much of it was political? Because now we're still left with this problem in this country where we have Eastern Canada getting its oil from somewhere else, which is ridiculous when they do have refineries there and we have a product. So it, from a nation-building perspective, it I always thought Energy East sounded like a reasonable project. In was it exactly the right route? Well, that is always a, a debate. But there were a lot of line already in the ground headed that way. They had to connect a smaller portion. I, I thought there was potential for it to make real good sense. Yes, and, and certainly, I mean, in Alberta, people have been setting their hair on fire. But in New Brunswick, which is a small province with a depressed economy, this could have been a huge boon to them. And as Sarah said, as a nation nation building exercise. Um, this should have been 
relatively straightforward. It's, I mean, it's literally a straight line. You don't have to go over the mountains. Um, you have to go through the shield, I guess. But, uh, but as Sarah said, lots of that pipe infrastructure is already in the ground. And Graham, you touched on this earlier, this um, cherry picking of ideas, and it just became kind of a political uh, way of attacking other folks. Brian Jean's um, press release was something else, wasn't it? This is an attack on Alberta and other provinces are what declaring war with Alberta or yeah, something like and, that. And they're out. They're hoping the country fails. It yeah. was a comp- ridiculous rhetoric, um, over the top. Uh, the thing is, Brian Jean is also right now in the middle of this leadership race right. uh, to become leader of the United Conservative Party. Oh, I Party. haven't heard anything about that. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, he's going after it hard, playing to the base back in Alberta, who are really upset. The Conservatives thinking the NDP is the worst thing to ever happen to this province, and they're out to shut down the oil sands. In fact, I think Brian Jean's actually argued that, that the NDP wants to shut down the oil sands. Um, but the issues here is a couple of them. One is, yeah, the political fallout is bad for the NDP. Right now, it means all eyes are focused on the Trans Mountain Pipeline. If that, if that stumbles somehow, then it's a major problem for the Alberta government. Conversely, if we actually get that pipeline built, it's going to be a success, a victory for the NDP, getting you know more of our energy to Tidewater. The second thing is just showing, though, just how difficult it is to get pipelines built. The opposition, um, and I mean the environmental groups, other, other jurisdictions, we are entering a new age where people are saying we've got to sh- uh, wean ourselves off fossil fuels. And I think this is sort of showing where we're headed in the long term. People want to fast track it, which is not going to be beneficial to anybody really. But I think we're going to see more and more difficulty in getting these projects done. But then having said all that, environmentalists call it victory, no more energy east, but we'll be moving oil is still a need to move oil out of Alberta will be doing more of it by rail. So if you want to see... Which di- I've said over and over if, again, if I just see a disaster, hate. move your oil by rail as opposed to pipeline. And you'd think Quebec of all jurisdictions after Lac Magantique and, and that colossal tragedy would understand why moving oil by rail is a very bad idea. And not only are we moving oil by rail, but if you're on the East Coast and you can't have access to Alberta oil, you have to get oil that's being made in some cases, tanked in from, you know, from uh, the other side of the of the Atlantic Ocean. That's not very environmentally sound stewardship either. And looking at, sorry, just jumping into the, the politics here, you've got the Conservatives, though, they can use this very effectively against the NDP in Alberta by saying the NDP hasn't done enough um, in terms of pushing pipelines, uh, and they'll, they'll say the carbon tax is not, is not buying you social license, even though, of course, the Conservatives never got pipelines to Tidewater done in the last 10 years, they can use this as a club to beat the NDP over the head in another year and a half to the next election. And especially because Notley had made Energy East, that was sort of her pet pipeline of of all of them. That was the one initially that the NDP liked the it best. It was certainly Alison Redford's pet pipeline when she the nation was there to launch, it, to launch it. it. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think this is it's a, it's a problem because the... The Keystone uh, XL, there's some questions about that going ahead because of the demand isn't, isn't there either. Yeah. It's all eyes right now on Trans Mountain, and right now we've got a two-week-long judicial hearing in B.C., the Federal Court of Appeals, looking at this in terms of did they do enough on the environmental front? And because, of course, the NDP government now in uh, B.C., the new, the new government there, does not want the pipeline. The question now becomes, what happens to that review? If the review says, yes, two thumbs up, go ahead, we're still going to see opposition to it. And the question becomes, will they actually get that pipeline done? Mm -hmm. And we certainly saw the 
in, environmental attention, immediately pivot to Kinder Morgan. This morning we had uh, activists put up a huge banner on the high-level bridge saying no to, I'm just looking at it right here, yeah, no to Kinder Morgan. So it didn't even take a beat from Energy East going to immediately pivoting right back to putting more pressure on everybody about, about the Kinder Morgan project, Trans Mountain. So let's switch to another form of conduits, and that's people for ideas and policy. Um, <laughs> that was smooth. Thank you so much, Graham. I, I'm a smooth a, operator. A fa- you know, I used to, I used to work in radio at the CBC, and I had a colleague because we used to write segue on the script for when, and, and she she didn't she just had seen the word written, and she kept calling them segues. <laughs> so that was an excellent segue. Thank you. So um, no, but we had two folks. Um, one was expected, one was not. So we had Jeff Calloway, who was, who was running for the leader of the United Conservative Party. He's decided not to run anymore and is instead just throwing his weight behind Jason Kenney. And we have an NDP MLA, Karen McPherson, out of Calgary, who has basically decided to become an independent, which surprised me. So... Graham, did that surprise you? And yeah, we'll, we'll get to Callaway in a second, but like yeah, what? with with uh, McPherson, yeah, nobody really had really heard of her in a sense. Like, one time she was quoted was on the committee dealing with the time change, you know, the uh, daylight savings <laughs> time it was really the one time we quoted her in the last two years because she was actually on the committee uh, dealing with that. Uh, yeah, it was a surprise. I talked to the government. They said they didn't see it coming. She didn't tell anybody she was going to do this, and then she announces that she's going to run as a well, sorry, citizen independent MLA. She was talking about. Um, in her Facebook letter or on the social um, media letter that right now the the, uh, politics is too polarized, there's too far on the left, too far on the right, and she's saying Albertans want something in the middle, and now as an independent she can speak to that. She can become a voice for the reasonable middle in Alberta politics. I asked her really what was going on. I really got no answer from her. To me, what this is saying... When somebody leaves a government caucus, people do not leave a government caucus. Not, not by it's choice. Rare. Uh, <laughs> it's no. rare. That, yeah, they're kicked out. Brett Rathgaber is the one who actually did it federally uh, a few years ago as a matter of principle. But politicians tend to, when they're in government, stay in government. This, to me, speaks to just how unpopular the NDP is in Calgary, that uh, people like um, McPherson are getting an earful from Calgarians about how much they don't like the NDP for all kinds of reasons, and she's decided to um, sit as an independent. That leads to other questions about what happens to her future in politics. You don't win elections by running as an independent. No. N- I mean, this, she, especially when you, ha- when you have no name recognition. I mean, I have to confess that when I saw the tweets about this, I had to look up to make certain that she was in Alberta and not a British Columbia <laughs> NDP <laughs> member. I, I, I have never heard of her. The thing that's that was ironic for me is I wrote a column last week about whether or not the people in the middle, um, who in my estimation were Rick Fraser, who's now sitting as an independent, uh, Richard Starkey, who's now sitting as the last, the last remnants of the of the PC party, and uh, Greg Clark, the leader of the Alberta Party, whether they could ever find a way to bridge the differences amongst them and join together as a caucus. And I said, if they had a fourth person, then they could have official party status. And I was imagining, you know, say Jason Kenney should happen to win just by chance the uh, United Conservative Party leadership, that if some people who are PCers or disaffected old wild rosers might want to move and join a caucus led, you know, led by Clark and Starkey. 
And so when McPherson crossed the floor, people were saying, oh, Paula Simon, she was so prescient. She knew this was going to happen. And I would like to say that I am so clever. But no, that was not not the person I had in mind. This is not the scenarios you had pictured. But, But having said that, it is possible that if she's the fourth person, because there's not much point, as Starkey said to me, in being a caucus of three people. It doesn't get you anything. But once you hit that magic four, you get official party status, you get a bump in your budget, you get all kinds of resources you didn't have before. So hypothetically, could the four of them be a party? I guess, but it would be a rather odd one. I heard that she talked to um, Rick Fraser before she jumped ship and discussed this with him. So... Maybe Paul, there is something. Maybe like. I should I should just go on making blind guesses and eventually one. Eventually, of them will... you'll get it right. You know, make enough. I think two hundred episodes of the podcast show that. <laughs> Sarah, were you surprised by this? I absolutely. I would not have expected, as Graham said, a government MLA to leave. But mm. at the same time, I did have to uh, sh- share with newsroom colleagues exactly who she was. So they, <laughs> it, it wasn't a. I get. But at the same time, I guess if you're a backbencher and you see that you have no prospect of going any further in a large caucus, maybe you think, you know what, I'm I'm not happy just being a silent backbencher. I would like an opportunity to actually get to ask some questions during question period. And not period. just puffballs, because that's the only questions yeah, that any of them get to so, ask. So me not knowing Ms. McPherson, I can't speak to her motives, but I, I think that that could be one reason why after doing this for a couple years, if you're someone who's motivated enough to run for office, I think that sometimes it is very difficult to be a backbencher and not get to be more of a voice that you hoped you would be. Jeff Calloway, though, he's um, <laughs> not le- an NDP. less surprising. Not an NDP less MLA. surprising. Of course, he's running for le- he was running for leader of UCP, and now he has decided he's not going to do that anymore. I'm sure that that was a last-minute decision, um, and he is instead backing Kenny. Graham, you, you're actually rolling your eyes. Well, the thing is, when he joined the race, I said that he was basically the attack dog for Kenny. He's a surrogate for Kenny. Mm. And he entered the race the same day that Derek Filterbrand, the old attack dog, blew himself up over the Airbnb scandal. The, the, the same day he said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the province to go on vacation, no longer a member of the UCP caucus. That day is when uh, Callaway jumped into the race. So Callaway is a former um, president of the Wild Rose Party. He, his he hates name, Brian Jean. His, yes. Yes, he, with a passion. He has been attacking Brian Jean for some time before this race began. Doesn't like Brian I mean, he Jean. He was attacking Brian Jean when Brian Jean was the leader of his party, yep. of which he was president. Yes. So Brian Jean and Callaway are not the best of friends. Callaway then, who is not a name we even talked about for leadership, all of a sudden he jumps in the race. I said it was like tag team wrestling. Um, you've got Ter- Derek tags out, Callaway tags in is in the race, and his job, in the very first day, he began attacking Brian Jean. His job was to attack Brian Jean and let Jason Kenny float above the fray and be Mr. Positive. And then when we get to the eve of the second part of the installment to, to actually pay your bill to enter the race, $37,500, yep. on the eve of that happening, Callaway drops out and says, surprise, surprise, I'm supporting Jason Kenny. So he says that money wasn't the issue. He this, was being bullied, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, oh he, he got a really mean uh, email. Yeah, he's, he's um, again, he's still attacking Brian Jean, Brian Jean supporters. And this was Kenny's guy in the race to attack Brian Jean. And now we're into the final few weeks. Um, we're seeing how the race is shaping up. It's, of course, it's Brian Jean attacking Jason, who's attacking so, Brian Jean. How much did Callaway already spend? It's not nothing. Th- yes, um, $37,500. 
Boy, that's a lot of money. To well, that's enter I mean, that's how much it will cost because he'll get he'll get some of he'll get like twenty five thousand back. Twenty thousand for good good conduct, behavior. Yeah. Um, so bond. he'll he'll get that part back. Right. But he's not going to get back a good chunk of cash. Hmm. So whoever is bankrolling him running as leader. Either they're going to be annoyed or they're going to be, we knew this was going to happen anyway. Yeah, so that would be fascinating to see who was bankrolling him for later because then you would have the answer to the question, you know. I mean, it's one thing to theorize, as everybody has done since the minute he entered the race, that this was, that he was a a, a stalking horse. Is that the right term for it? That he was there to draw fire from Jason Kenney. Um, well, to me, he was but, a surrogate yeah. in the race. Like yeah. normally, surrogates are outside. <laughs> He's actually in the race. <laughs> Derek Filderbrand was a surrogate, and then uh, Callaway, who had no real um, profile. Uh, yeah, you know, really, he didn't have to enter the race to gain a profile because Derek Filderbrand built this profile through his own little group called um, United, United Liberty. Liberty. He built it up that way, and then he was forced out. And um, also, he's Derek Filderbrand, so he already had a he already had a, a good following of Wild Roses. Exactly, and also he was also attacking Brian Jean for some time, and he needed somebody else to come in and start doing that for them. So Callaway dropping out, supporting um, Kenny was is laughable, in my estimation. So it just showed exactly what was going on in this race. Yeah, and it does it does change the makeup of the ballot, though, right? So for now, we've we do have a, a a change dynamic for the last few weeks of the race. Where I guess is Kenny? My question now is, how much is he himself going to? I guess take off the gloves for you know lack of a. Well, Doug Schweitzer immediately put out a press release saying, "I am in this race." <laughs> FYI, yes. I'm in it to win it. And he was very clear that, because I'd asked him if he, that there was this rumor around that perhaps he was a surrogate for Jason Kenny as well. He actually laughed and went and looked at me like maybe I was a bit simple and said, <laughs> have you seen his policies compared with mine? Let me assure you, I am no such thing. And he looked a little, looked a little upset that perhaps that would, that I'd asked him that mm-hmm. because he thought it was bleedingly obvious that he wasn't, but, um. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't connect those two, but then... That's... Well, they were connected last year because mm-hmm. on the eve of the leadership race for the PCs, um, Schweitzer, who who was going to run for the race, dropped out at the last minute. That's right. And, people, and then, then he became um, an agent for Jason Kenney for, for the PC leadership vote. So um, there was that connection between the two of them. And I asked Schweitzer the same thing. Are you in this race to help out Jason Kenney? This is the very beginning, and he, and he laughed at that, too. Yeah, I would just like to say I had to ask a candidate for school board this week if he was actually two different people, and so <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so by comparison, this is That's all right. very <laughs> above board, and, and uh, the, yes, the Mac and Lamb mystery. Who will we ever know? Uh, and now, just briefly, let's talk about cannabis. The province released its rules, or what it expects, I suppose, to perhaps do because it is going to go back to consultation again because the NDP does love to consult with people. Uh, are these special muffins you made? There's nothing in the cupcake. Well, cupcakes. there is deliciousness yes. in the cupcakes. Not till July 1st, Graham. Not till I, listen, I'm I not never accusing, do something illegal. I can be deported, Graham. I'm just Let's wondering. not forget that. The sprinkles look suspicious. You know, I had been waiting anxiously to see what the Alberta NDP was going to do and propose uh, after seeing what Ontario had rolled out in a couple of other provinces. So uh, the big question in Alberta I think well, they answered two of them at least in initial proposal stages. What age will they allow consumption of marijuana after July 1st when it becomes uh, legal across the country? And where are they going to sell it? Um, that one hasn't been quite answered as well. So we now know they're proposing 18, so the same age that you can drink and smoke. You can, which, which makes sense. I mean, it, I mean, I know there was pressure for it to be 21, but that would be 
that would be goofy. Yeah. And then the the issue is, I think that still has to be sorted, is where are you going to be able to buy it? Who's going to sell it? Is it going to be a system of government-run stores? Is it going to be private enterprise? And, and there are a lot of questions still about that. And that seems to be where they are trying to feel out the public a little bit more, um, which, which I think actually in some ways makes sense. I know we do make fun of them for consulting, but in this case, I think it would be crazy to just push ahead with something and then be like, well, you didn't ask anybody, actually. So... And I did ask the I did ask the justice minister at cabinet last week as they were going in like oh um I want to get an update on cannabis she's like oh no nothing yet I went oh like where's the process at what's what's happening and they were very kind of cagey about it and said oh no and I said are you talking about it in cabinet today because that was the vibe I was getting but of course they won't tell you what they're talking about in cabinet unless you're the agriculture minister and accidentally tell me which happened last week as well <laughs> um, but yeah and then they came out two days later or three days later saying, by the way, next week we're going to release that. So, hey, oh, and I was like, ah. what, what, what's interesting too, because the sort of the first wave of stories were, oh, they're going to have government run dispensaries and that's going to be terrible. You know, like reinventing the Alberta Liquor Control Board only for marijuana and why would we do that? But it, it seems from what I'm reading now that, that that's only the fallback position, that they're actually, I think, hoping that there will be private sector businesses to to fill in that gap. I, I, don't, it, I, I don't know that in Alberta, it, and I don't think in Alberta necessarily it would work to have a government-run store. It would smack of uh, ideology in a way that I think Albertans wouldn't like now that we're used to so many private liquor stores. Yeah. Uh, the question, one of the questions we have is, well, if you, where can you sell it? And right now it seems to be saying only in a standalone store. So some of us were debating amongst ourselves, well, does that make sense? Like, why wouldn't you be able to just go buy it in the same place where you're picking up your six pack of beer or, you know, that sort of thing. But that seems to be where they're also working through some things. One of the things we raised in our editorial, though, is if it is not sold through government stores, then I think that the government does have to take some steps to make sure that they are getting enough revenue from it. That's the question. We don't. We have this new thing, a new stream mm-hmm. of revenue, and so you need to tax it appropriately, but then there's a balance there, too, between how much do you, because if you tax it too high, then you send it all back to the black market, which you don't want to do. Yeah, and there wasn't very much in this about no, tax. no, that they didn't go there yet. But so I still I have, as you can tell from my rambling and ranting, uh, many questions. Uh, but <laughs> I at least, you know, it's a start. We're well, starting to get some idea. Well, and enforcement is tough, too. I mean, the rules say that you can grow for your own personal consumption for four plants of a certain height. And I thought, so like, are people going to come and inspect the the like the the pot plants on your windowsill. No, I'm sure I mean, it'll be so. if they come across or if you get complaints, you know, because you can't just make it a free for all. You can have a giant grow up in your basement, right? A legal, quasi legal yes. grow up. But they have similar rules in South Australia, I believe. Um, you can grow a couple of um, pot plants for your own use, but it's not technically legal. But it's for like if your own use medically or something like that. It's very strange, but they have a similar rule. At Oakley, yeah. be a I, ha- I have to say because I am, you know. I'm a giant bo- stoner? I'm very boring. Oh. I don't drink. I've never <laughs> used marijuana. I, you know, and I don't smoke. So, I mean, I think it's sort of yucky and I wish people wouldn't use it. I, I do think that legalizing it makes the most public policy sense. That said, I really am worried that if you say, okay, it's legal, um, you know, ironically, I, I made fun of Don Koziak, the mayoral candidate last week, because he was suggesting that we should go back to the days of smoking in bars. But, you know, sort of as a footnote to that, he said, well, because otherwise, what's going to happen when you have cannabis lounges? And it is a challenge, right? I mean, we've gone we've gone a long way to saying you can't smoke in public places, you can't smoke in a bar. So are we then going to still ban 
smoking marijuana in public? Or are we, no, yes, I would think, I would think same, so. Same rules yeah. as we have yeah. right now for, but, for, for but smoking. But I think, I think people were assuming that they were going to get like a cannabis bar where you could go and consume it. So, like a hookah lounge, like a hookah lounge. I guess, I guess if they if they eventually Did license edibles, I, never, I guess I never thought people no, never would thought assume that. that. If, if they're going to license edibles, then I guess once they so once the they figured out how put to on do their that, psychedelic records, and, that, and they're, they're still, smoke I think, their the, funny cigarettes. There's still a lot of questions around edibles as well. The the yeah. framework that they released is fairly silent on that. Yeah, the thing is, there's a lot of um, things are taken from other jurisdictions as well in the U.S., for example, in terms of how they've legalized marijuana. On the issue of buying your pot at the same store you buy your beer, uh, they've talked this to health experts who say it's a bad signal to tell, tell people, yes, you can drink and smoke marijuana. Yes, you could say, look, two stores is ridiculous. You go into one store, buy your six-pack of beer, then go next door or, or a certain distance away and buy your marijuana. But what they're saying, they don't want to send a message that you should be mixing your intoxicants because then it becomes a bigger issue for drunk driving, impaired driving. So another issue, of course, is to um, the, the level of impairment uh, in marijuana um, and also for the, the police to do the enforcement. Because uh, we're talking a lot about uh, will they sell it in, in stores or government-run stores. It'll shake out. You know, They'll figure something up before July of next year. The police are the ones that are really upset across the country thinking, will we have the laws in place for police to be trained in the laws before it actually kicks in July 1st? And I just want to, um, before we go to good stuff from the gallery, which is a great segment in which we recommend things that you should read or listen to or watch because we love them, um, I want to encourage everyone to subscribe because we've just um, added more ways you can subscribe to the Press Gallery podcast. What a wonderful 200th birthday. I know, right? We're on Stitcher, which is a great podcast app. We're on Google Play. Um, There are some others in the works, but yeah, and we're still on your classic uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, and TuneIn Radio as well. So if you haven't subscribed, I suggest you do so because then it magically comes to your device. And um, I like technological magic. I also want to give out to, a shout-out to um, one of our listeners. We were talking about awesome listeners earlier. Mm-hmm. He made a title suggestion, but it was before a lot of stuff happened. But, Cody, thank you for shouting out, mate. Cannabis, Calloway, and Karen, he wanted oh. to call it. And I thought, that's nice, because I love alliteration, or at least sounds like alliteration. See, I thought you were going to call it the podcast. Oh, oh, shit. The Press Gallery podcast. Missed opportunity. Well, well after, you know, after July. Let's start from the beginning and do it all over again. Yeah. After July 1st. <laughs> that can be our July 1st title. <laughs> yep, filing that away. Okay, so let's move to good stuff from the gallery uh, in which we recommend some stuff. Sarah, what do you have for us this week, mate? Okay, so I'm quickly two things. I want to recommend uh, a non-local thing that I watched on Netflix, Nobody Speaks, a great documentary about uh, the Terribolia versus Gawker case and then all the fallout from that and all the tangled, tangled, implications for First Amendment and as a journalist watching it was quite terrifying so uh, it it was enjoyable and I actually was folding laundry and then just kept on watching after I stopped folding my laundry. Uh, Locally I want to recommend that you check out something that Graham Thompson has written. I believe it's online now and will be in Saturday's Insight section in the journal. He interviewed Kevin Taft about his new book Oil's Deep State. I know Graham's pretty modest and won't recommend himself but as someone who's (laughs) followed Alberta politics um, I was really interested to hear Uh, what Kevin had to say, and then hear Graham's take on what Kevin had to say. So there's his column and an 
a book excerpt as well from Gra- Kevin Taft. Graham looked a little confused when you said you were going to recommend something from him. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Paula, what do you have for us this week? Uh, it is book season, and so uh, I'm reading like a mad fiend, and I want to recommend uh, a wonderful new novel by the West Coast writer Eden Robinson, which was just shortlisted for the Giller Award this week. It's called Son of a Trickster. Uh, I love Eden Robinson's all of her work. Uh, this is... I mean, she's got a capacity to build, uh, blend magic realism uh, using West Coast indigenous myth and legend with really gritty social realism about what it means to be a young First Nations person in Canada. You know, unlike some male writers we could name, uh, Joseph Boyd and Thomas King, I'm looking at you, um, (laughs) who have kind of traded on being First Nations without maybe, you know. Uh, Eden Robinson is the real meal deal. Uh, there's no question about the authenticity of her voice. And Emma, I know you are a huge uh, Harry Potter fan. So if I tell you that Son of a Trickster is like Harry Potter, except if Harry Potter lived just off a reserve in Kitimat and what? baked pot cookies to support <laughs> his family. Um, but yeah, it's a it's about a, a teenager who discovers he comes from a family of magic workers, and it's just it's just wonderful. Maybe there will be a new Harry Potter that um, it comes out like that. Hmm. Well, it, they won't need to be because you can read Eden Robinson's uh, Son of a Trickster and then her earlier novel, Monkey Beach. She's marvelous. Excellent. I'm going to recommend a piece on Vox.com. In the wake of the Las Vegas shooting, um, the access that Americans have to guns has come back in the spotlight again. Uh, But Vox did a really good piece, particularly from the perspective of North Americans, about Australia's buyback, gun buyback program after the Port Arthur massacre, which um, 28 people were killed by Martin Bryant. uh, The government ran a gun buyback program and a gun amnesty. And I think 375,000 guns were collected in a very short period of time. They paid market value for them. They've actually just done a second gun buyback just a few days in the last three months. They did a second one, got 50,000 or something more guns. Um, And it's basically analysis of that. Uh, And as a result, suicides and murder, homicides by guns have both dropped by 54 to 75% within two years of that gun buyback program. It was the biggest drop since they started looking at records in 1914. So it's a really interesting read. And um, obviously they're different countries, but interesting perspective. Graham. Uh, speaking of books, um, quickly, it's a book by one of our former colleagues, uh, Ed Struzik, or Edward Struzik, as it says in the dust cover. <laughs> it's called Firestorm, How Wildfire Will Shape Our Future. And um, I just got it. I'll be reviewing it, apparently. But Ed is, <laughs> Sarah, Sarah looks at Graham and was going to ask how that was going and what deadline he can meet for that. <laughs> um, but Ed is a wonderful, he's a f- wonderful journalist. He worked for the Journal for years. He won all, tons of awards on science and environmental reporting. He's written some wonderful books. And this is his latest, Firestorm, How Wildfire Will Shape Our Future. Nice. Sarah, Paula, Graham, and Sean Butts, thank you all for joining me here at the Press Gallery podcast. Sean, of course, is filming some of this to put online at theeventonjournal.com where you can find all the past episodes, the past 200 episodes of, 200. I guess, the last 199 of them. Um, you can also subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, and Google, Google Play Plus. for Android users. Hello, friends. Um, hopefully, you join us this time again next week on the Press Gallery.